Chapter Eight of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Martin Sandino. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Eight. A fortnight had passed over, and winter was advancing with rapid strides. In bleak northern farmsteads there was much to be done before November weather should make the roads too heavy for half-fed horses to pull carts through. There was the turf, pared up on the distant moors, and left out to dry, to be carried home and stacked. The brown fern was to be stored up for winter bedding for the cattle, for straw was scarce and dear in those parts, even for thatching, heather, or rather ling, was used. Then there was meal to salt while it could be had, for in default of turnips and mangled wurzel, there was a great slaughtering of barren cows as soon as the summer herbage failed, and good housewives stored up their Christmas piece of beef and pickle before Martinmas was over. Corn was to be ground while yet it could be carried to the distant mill. The great racks for oatcake, that swung at the top of the kitchen, had to be filled. And last of all came the pig-killing, when the second frost set in, for up in the north there is an idea that the ice stored in the first frost will melt, and the meat cured then taint. The first frost is good for nothing but to be thrown away, as they express it. There came a breathing time after this last event. The house had had its autumn cleaning, and was neat and bright from top to bottom, from one end to another. The turf was led, the coal carted up from Monkshaven, the wood stored, the corn ground, the pig kills, and the hams and heads and hands lying in salt. The butcher had been glad to take the best parts of a pig of Dame Robson's careful feeding, but there was unusual plenty in the Hasterbank pantry, and as Belle surveyed it one morning, she said to her husband, "'I wonder if young poor sick chap at Mossbrow would fancy some of my sausages. There's something to crack on, for they are made from an old Cumberland recipe, as is not known in Yorkshire yet.' "'Thou's allies so set upon Cumberland ways,' said her husband, not displeased with the suggestion, however. "'Still, when folks sick, they hand their fancies, and maybe Kinriddle be glad of the sausages.' I had known sick folk take to eatin' snails. This was not complimentary, perhaps, but Daniel went on to say that he did not mind if he stepped over with the sausages himself, when it was too late to do anything else. Sylvia longed to accompany her father, but somehow she did not like to propose it. Towards dusk she came to her mother to ask for the key of the great bureau that stood in the house-place as a state piece of furniture, although its use was to contain the family's best wearing apparel and stores of linen, such as might be supposed to be more needed upstairs. "'What for do you want my keys?' asked Belle. "'Only just to get out one of Tadamisk napkins. "'The best napkins, as my mother span.' "'Yes,' said Sylvia, her colour heightening. "'I thought it's how it would set off the sausages.' "'A good clean homespun cloth will serve them better,' said Belle, wondering in her own mind what was come over the girl, to be thinking of setting off sausages that were to be eaten, not to be looked at like a picture-book.' She might have wondered still more if she had seen Sylvia steal round the little flower border she had persuaded Kester to make under the wall at the sunny side of the house, and gather the two or three Michaelmas daisies, and the one bud of the china rose that, growing against the kitchen chimney, had escaped the frost, and then, when her mother was not looking, softly opened the cloth inside the little basket that contained the sausages and a fresh egg or two, and lay her autumn blossoms in one of the folds of the towel. After Daniel— now pretty clear of his rheumatism, had had his afternoon meal. Tea was a Sunday treat. He prepared to set out on his walk to Mossborough, but as he was taking his stick he caught the look on Sylvia's face, 
and unconsciously interpreted its dumb wistfulness. "'Mrs.' said he. "'Twench is not more to do, has she? She may as well put on her cloak and step down with me, and see Molly a bit. She'll be company-like.' Bell considered. "'There's to yawn for their stockings, as is yet to spin, but she can go, for I'll do a bit at myself, and there's naught else a gate.' "'Put on thy things in a jiffy, then, and let's be off,' said Daniel. And Sylvia did not need another word. Down she came in a twinkling, dressed in her new red cloak and hood, her face peeping out of the folds of the latter, bright and blushing. "'Thou shouldst not have put on thy new cloak for a night walk to Mousebro,' said Belle, shaking her head. "'Shall I go take it off, and put on my shawl?' asked Sylvia, a little dolefully. "'Na, na, come along. I'm noan goin' to wait a woman's chops and changes. Come along. Come, lassie.' this last to his dog. So Sylvia set off with a dancing heart and a dancing step that had yet to be restrained to the sober gait her father chose. The sky above was bright and clear with the light of a thousand stars. The grass was crisping under her feet with the coming hoar-frost, and as they mounted to the higher ground they could see the dark sea stretching away far below them. The night was very still, though now and then crisp sounds in the distant air sounded very near in the silence. Sylvia carried the basket, and looked like her little red riding-hood. Her father had nothing to say, and did not care to make himself agreeable. But Sylvia enjoyed her own thoughts, and any conversation would have been a disturbance to her. The long, monotonous roll of the distant waves as the tide bore them in, the multitudinous rush at last, and then the retreating rattle and trickle, as the baffled waters fell back over the shingle that skirted the sands, and divided them from the cliffs. Her father's measured tread, and slow— even moment. Lassie's pattering all lulled Sylvia into a reverie of which she could not have given herself any definite account. But at length they arrived at Mossboro, and with a sudden sigh she quitted the subjects of her dreamy meditations, and followed her father into the great house-place. It had a more comfortable aspect by night than by day. The fire was always kept up to a wasteful size, and the dancing blaze and the partial light of candles left much in shadow that was best ignored in such a disorderly family. But there was always a warm welcome to friends, however roughly given, and after words of this were spoken, the next rose up equally naturally in the mind of Mrs. Corney. "'And what will you take?' "'Eh, but to Mister'll be fine and vexed at you coming when he's away. He's off to Horncastle to sell some colts, and he'll not be back till to-morrow's neat. But here's Charlie Kinraid, as we've gotten to nurse up a bit, and to lads'll be back for it in Monkshaven in a crack o' no time.' All this was addressed to Daniel, to whom she knew that none but masculine company would be acceptable. Amongst uneducated people, whose reins of subjects and interests do not extend behind their daily life, it is natural that when the first blush and hurry of youth is over, there should be no great pleasure in the conversation of the other sex. Men have plenty to say to men, which in their estimation, gained from tradition and experience, women cannot understand. And farmers of a much later date than the one of which I am writing, would have contemptuously considered it a loss of time to talk to women. Indeed, they were often more communicative to the sheep-dog that accompanied them through all the day's work, and frequently became a sort of dumb confidant. Farmer Robson's lassie now lay at her master's feet, placed her nose between her paws, and watched with attentive eyes the preparations going on for refreshments. Preparations which, to the disappointment of her canine heart, consisted entirely of tumblers and sugar. "'Where's Twench?' said Robson, after he had shaken hands with Kincaid, and spoken a few words to him and Mrs. Corney. "'She's getting a basket with sausages in them, as my missus has made, and she's a rare hand at sausages. 
there's none like her in not to the three ridings i'll be bound for daniel could praise his wife's powers in her absence though he did not often express himself in an appreciative manner when she was by to hear but sylvia's quick sense caught up the matter in which mrs corney would apply the way in which her mother's housewifery had been exalted and stepping forward out of the shadow she said mother thought maybe you hadn't killed a pig yet and sausages is always a bit savoury for any one who is not well and she might have gone on but that she caught kincaid's eyes looking at her with kindly admiration she stopped speaking and mrs corney took up the word as for sausages i had never had a chance this year else i stand again any one for to making of them yorkshire hams is a vast thought on and i'll never let another countrywoman say as she can make better sausages nor me but as i'm saying i'd never a chance for our pig as i were so fond of and fed myself and as would have been fourteen stone by now if he were an ounce and as knew me as well as any christian and a pig as i may say that i just idolized went and took a fit a week after michaelmas day and died as if it had been despite me and to next is no ready for killing nor would not be this six weeks so i'm much beholden to you missus and so's charlie i'm sure though he's taken a turn to betterin since he came out here to be nursed i'm a deal better said kincaid almost ready for to press gang to give chase to again but folks say they're gone off this coast for one while added daniel they're gone down toward hull as i've been told said kincaid but they're a deep set they'll be here before we know where we are and some of these days see thee here said daniel exhibiting his maimed hand i reckon i served em out of time to merricky war and he began the story sylvia knew so well for her father never made a new acquaintance but what he told him of his self-mutilation to escape the press-gang it had been done as he would himself have owned despite himself as well as them for it had obliged him to leave a sea-life to which in comparison all life spent on shore was worse than nothing for dullness for robson had never reached the rank aboard ship which made him being unable to run up a rigging or throw a harpoon or to fire off a gun of no great consequence so he had to be thankful that an opportune legacy enabled him to turn farmer a great degradation in his opinion but his blood warmed as he told the specksioneer toward a sailor and he pressed kincaid to beguile the time when he was compelled to be ashore by coming over to see him at hasterbank whenever he felt inclined sylvia appearing to listen to molly's confidences was hearkening in reality to all this conversation between her father and the specksioneer and at this invitation she became especially attentive kinraid replied i'm much obliged to ye, i'm sure maybe i can come and spend an evening with you but as soon as i'm got round a bit i must go see my own people as live at cullercoats near newcastle upon tane well well said daniel rising to take leave with unusual prudence as to the amount of his drink thou'lt see thou'lt see i shall be main glad to see thee if thou'lt come but i've na lads to keep thee company only one sprig of a wench sylvia come here and let's show thee to this young fellow sylvia came forward ready as any rose and in a moment kinraid recognized her as the pretty little girl he had seen crying so bitterly over darley's grave he rose up out of true sailor's gallantry as she shyly approached and stood by her father's side scarcely daring to lift her great soft eyes to have one fair gaze at his face he had to support himself by one hand rested on the dresser but she saw he was looking far better younger less haggard than he had seemed to her before his face was short and expressive his complexion had been weather-beaten and bronzed though now he looked so pale his eyes and hair were dark the former quick deep-set and penetrating the latter curly and almost in ringlets his teeth gleamed white as he smiled at her a pleasant friendly smile of recognition but she only blushed the deeper and hung her head 
i'll come sir and be thankful i dare say eternal do me good if the weather holds up and the frost keeps on that's right my lad said robson shaking him by the hand and then kinraid's hand was held out to sylvia she could not avoid the same friendly action molly corney followed her to the door and when they were fairly outside she held sylvia back for an instant to say is not he a fine likely man i'm so glad as you've seen him for he's to be off next week to newcastle in that neighbourhood but he said he'd come to us some night asked sylvia half in a fright ay i'll see as he does never fear for i should like for you to know him a bit he's a rare talker i'll mind him a-coming to you somehow sylvia felt as if this repeated promise of reminding kinraid of his promise to come and see her father took away part of the pleasure she had anticipated from his visit yet what could be more natural than that molly corney should wish her friend to be acquainted with the man whom sylvia believed to be all but molly's engaged lover pondering these thoughts the walk home was as silent as that going to mossboro had been the only change seemed to be that now they faced the brilliant northern lights flashing up the sky and that either this appearance or some of the wailing narrations of kinraid had stirred up daniel robson's recollections of a sea ditty which he kept singing to himself in a low unmusical voice the burden of which was for i loves the tossin say bell met them at the door well and here ye are at home again and philip has been sylvie to give thee thy ciphering lesson and he stayed a while thinking thou'd be coming back i'm very sorry said sylvia more out of deference to her mother's tone of annoyance than because she herself cared either for her lesson or her cousin's disappointment he'll come again to-morrow night he says but thou must take care and mind the nights he says he'll come for it's a long way to come for naught sylvia might have repeated her i'm very sorry at this announcement of philip's intentions but she restrained herself inwardly and fervently hoping that molly would not urge the fulfilment of the specksioneer's promise for to-morrow night for philip being there would spoil all and besides if she sate at the dresser at her lesson and kinraid at the table with her father he might hear all and find out what a dunce she was she need not have been afraid but the next night hepburn came and kinraid did not after a few words to her mother philip produced the candles he had promised and some books and a quill or two what for hast thou brought candles asked bell in a half affronted tone hepburn smiled sylvia thought it would take a deal of candlelight and was for making it into a reason not to learn i should have used to candles if i'd stayed home so i just brought them with me then thou mayest just take them back again said bell shortly blowing out that which he had lighted and placing one of her own on the dresser instead sylvia caught her mother's look of displeasure and it made her docile for the evening although she owed her husband a grudge for her enforced good behaviour now sylvia here's a copy-book with the tower of london on it and will fill it with as pretty writings as any in north riding sylvia sate quite still unenlivened by this prospect here's a pen as'll nearly write of itself continued philip trying to coax her out of her sullenness of manner then he arranged her in the right position don't lay your head down on your left arm you'll ne'er see to write straight the attitude was changed but not a word was spoken philip began to grow angry at such determined dumbness are you tired asked he with the strained mixture of crossness and tenderness yes very was her reply but thou wast not be tired said bell who had not got over the offence to her hospitality who moreover liked her nephew and had to boot a great respect for the learning she had never acquired mother said sylvia bursting out what's the use on my writing a bed nigo a bed nigo a bed nigo all down a page if i could see to use on it i'd ha ask father to send me to school but i'm none wanting to have learning it's a fine thing though is learning my mother and my grandmother had it but the family came down in the world and philip's mother and me we had none of it but i ha set my heart on thy having it child 
"'My fingers is stiff,' pleaded Sylvia, holding up her little hand and shaking it. "'Let's us take a turn at spelling, then,' said Philip. "'What's to use on it?' asked captious Sylvia. "'Why, it helps one it to reading and writing.' "'And what does reading and writing do for one?' Her mother gave her another of the severe looks that, quiet woman as she was, she could occasionally bestow upon the refractory, and Sylvia took her book and glanced down the column Philip pointed out to her. But as she justly considered, one man might point out the task, but twenty could not make her learn it if she did not choose, and she sat herself down on the edge of the dresser and idly gazed into the fire. But her mother came round to look for something in the drawers of the dresser, and as she passed her daughter she said in a low voice, "'Sylvie, be a good lass. I set a deal of store by learning, and father had never send thee to school, as has struck by me sore.' If Philip, sitting with his back to them, heard these words, he was discreet enough not to show that he had heard, and he had his reward, for in a very short time Sylvia stood before him with her book in her hand, prepared to say her spelling, at which he also stood up by instinct, and listened to her slow succeeding letters, helping her out when she looked up at him with the sweet childlike perplexity in her face. For a dunce as to book-learning poor Sylvia was, and was likely to remain, and in spite of his assumed office of schoolmaster, Philip Hepburn could almost have echoed the words of the lover of Jess McFarlane. I sent my love a letter, but alas she cannot read, and I love her all the better. Still, he knew his aunt's strong wish on the subject, and it was very delightful to stand in the relation of teacher to so dear and pretty, if so willful, a pupil. Perhaps it was not very flattering to notice Sylvia's great joy when her lessons were over, sadly shortened as they were, by Philip's desire not to be too hard upon her. Sylvia danced round to her mother, bent her head back and kissed her face, and then said defyingly to Philip, "'If ever I write thee a letter, it will just be full of nothing but a bed go, a bed go, a bed go." But at this moment her father came in from a distant expedition on the moors with Kester to look after the sheep he had pasturing there before the winter set fairly in. He was tired, and so was Lassie, and so too was Kester, who, lifting his heavy legs one after the other and smoothing down his hair, followed his master into the house-place, and sitting himself on a bench at the farther end of the dresser, patiently awaited the supper of porridge and milk which he shared with his master. Sylvia, meanwhile, coaxed Lassie, poor footsore dog, to her side, and gave her some food, which the creature was almost too tired to eat. Philip made as though he would be going, but Daniel motioned him to be quiet. "'Sit thee down, lad. Soon as I've had my victual, I want to hear a bit of news.' Sylvia took her sewing and sat at the little round table by her mother, sharing the light of the scanty dip-candle. No one spoke. Everyone was absorbed in what they were doing. What Philip was doing was gazing at Sylvia, learning her face off by heart. When every scrap of porridge was cleared out of the mighty bowl, Kester yawned and, wishing good night, withdrew to his loft over the cow-house. Then Philip pulled out the weekly York paper and began to read the latest accounts of the war then raging. This was giving Daniel one of his greatest pleasures, for though he could read pretty well, yet the double effort of reading and understanding what he read was almost too much for him. He could read, or he could understand what was read aloud to him. Reading was no pleasure, but listening was. Besides, he had a true John Bullish interest in the war, without very well knowing what the English were fighting for. But in those days, so long as they fought the French for any cause, or no cause at all, every true patriot was satisfied. Sylvia and her mother did not care for any such far-extended interest. A little bit of York news, the stealing of a few apples out of a Scarborough garden that they knew, was of far more interest to them than all the battles of Nelson in the north. Philip read in a high-pitched and unnatural tone of voice, 
which deprive the words of their reality for even familiar expressions can become unfamiliar and convey no ideas if the utterance is forced or affected philip was somewhat of a pedant yet there was a simplicity in his pedantry not always to be met with in those who are self-taught and which might have interested any one who cared to know with what labour and difficulty he had acquired the knowledge which he now prized so highly reading out latin quotations as easily as if they were english and taking pleasure in rolling polysyllables until all at once looking askance at sylvia he saw that her head had fallen back her pretty rosy lips open her eyes fast shut in short she was asleep ay said farmer robson and reading has almost set me off mother'd look angry now if i was to tell you you had a right to kiss but when i was a young man i'd a kissed a pretty girl as i saw asleep or you'd say jack robson philip trembled at these words and looked at his aunt she gave him no encouragement standing up making as though she had never heard her husband's speech by extending her hand and wishing him good-night at the noise of the chairs moving over the flag floor sylvia started up confused and annoyed at her father's laughter ay lass it's ever a good time to fall asleep when a young fellow is by here's philip here as thirt bound to give a pair of gloves to sylvia went like fire she turned to her mother to read her face it's only father's joke lass said she philip knows manners too well he'd better said sylvia flaming round at him if he'd a touched me i'd never had spoken to him no more and she looked even as it was as if she was far from forgiving him hoots lass wenches are brought up some in nowadays in my time they'd a thought not such great harm of a kiss good night philip said bell robson thinking the conversation unseemly good night aunt good night sylvie but sylvie turned her back on him and he could hardly say good night to daniel who had caused such an unpleasant end to an evening that had at one time been going on so well end of chapter eight reading by amanda martin sandino bothell washington